What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy, y'all. Now, today's going to be a pretty light episode for reviews, but boy, did we uh, fall behind on trailer reactions. So we've got a bunch of those, plus we've got reviews for the season two premiere of Looney Tunes cartoons. We've got a Funimation exclusive film called The Stranger by the Shore. And our next stop on the Ghibli journey, The Cat Returns. But first, Cameron, what the hell are we reacting to? Oh, what are we reacting to? We've got everything all across the animation spectrum. Before its official release in Japan, uh, Studio Chizu released another trailer for Bell, which really dives into the Beauty and the Beast comparisons. It looks great. I'm so excited for this film. It's, as we are recording this, playing at the Cannes Film Festival. And of course, G-Kids will bring it out later. It's a great looking trailer. I'm just jealous for everyone who is at uh, the Cannes Film Festival and had a chance to watch this or will have a chance to watch this because yeah looking at that third trailer and leaning as heavily into not only the you know the beauty of the beast parallels but also that it's kind of sort of a musical or has musical elements it's a movie that screams mike you need to see this yeah no it just looks great and then um disney decided to give us a teaser for their new upcoming film encanto which doesn't really show much in terms of plot outside of really just like some gags about this family and such in Colombia. That news report we talked about a while back with Stephanie Beatrice playing the main character as Mirabelle was right. And it's a gorgeous looking trailer. I mean, I have many complaints about the Disney company as a whole, but their animators, the team of animators they have for their films are great. Yes. And also, this is part of the miranda as I'm calling the year 2021. And pretty much the second you hear the music in this trailer, you, you know you're in for a good time. Yeah, it's really appealing. And I like the design to the characters. It's cool to see a main character with like frizzy hair and glasses. I've seen a lot of people who are of Colombian and Latina X backgrounds really hyping the film like being like oh my gosh like this looks great then of course they also have which are also very valid complaints and criticisms and worries and such because you know it's disney tackling another culture so it looks good though it's very cute it doesn't show off too much which i'm happy about i don't think we're getting another like a story trailer for probably another month or two but as the announcement trailer is concerned This looks spectacular. Indeed. Speaking of showing off everything in the trailer, we got Sing 2. (laughs) They really did show off too much, way too much in this trailer. It looks great. I love the little animal singing gags that they brought back from the first film, especially that little monkey thing singing Billie Eilish. (laughs) That's probably my favorite little visual gag of just everyone just going like, oh my gosh. Because if you listen to that Billie Eilish song, like out of context, it's like, whoa. (laughs) 
Uh, what did you think about this trailer overall, though? I think I like the theatrical cut better than the one they released online. Um, in, you know, I, I don't know how it is for your theater, but um, like my my theater will only show like about five trailers max before the movie starts, mm-hmm. and. Um, the, like the way the way they cut the Sing Two trailer for for theaters is it's tighter. It's down to like like two minutes at most. It doesn't feel as spoilery as the online version. But as for as for what I think of the of the movie so far, it looks um, it looks like a, an Illumination movie. And say what you will about um, you know. The like the overuse of their kind of one note house style, like what what I've always liked about Sing is it still kind of has its own identity. Yeah, well, that's because it's directed by a different person than their in house team of people, and I mean that's why it's so exciting to hear that Benjamin Renner, the director of Ernest and Celestine and The Big Bad Fox, is going to direct an an Illumination film. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see what he offers. And Illumination films tend to be better when they get an outside hand to, to deal with it. I just wish they kept a few of the plot lines out of the trailer, at least the one they released online. Because it, you kind of get what exactly the whole plot, the, the whole story is going to be. And I loved seeing uh, the uh, the lion, Calloway, um, who's voiced by the U2 singer, Bono. And, and he, he sounds great. It doesn't sound like, um, it doesn't sound like the usual celebrity just kind of cashing in on their, on their own fame. Yeah, no, it, Illumination is, and like the best voice directors are good at telling celebrities do not play yourself because i mean that's how harrison ford was in the secret life of pets too he was the best part of that movie and he had the best performance even though i love Patton oswalt's but it, it looks cute i like the visual designs i love the gag of the receptionist in the in the sports car listening to system of a down <laughs> every time i see that it just cracks me up i mean i don't care if it's an easy gag i love it no, it looks cute, and I like that little bit of added whimsy at the end, where they like have the music that's booming up as uh, Nick Kroll's character is jumping off and such. Like, it's a very easy emotional manipulation thing to the trailer. I'm sure this film's going to be harmless. I, again, I don't have the hate for Illumination. I'm just glad we're getting an Illumination film this year because it was same. It feels very weird when they are out of the loop it also feels very weird that like as as of this recording minions 2 is still slated for 2022 yeah i mean i get it i get it but it's frustrating a little but we'll we'll just have to see how things go then we had the hbo max original animated series by uh ch greensblatt uh jellystone based off of the hanna barbera characters and it looks cute i really liked the trailer I mean, we'll have to see how it is, like, as you watch every episode and how the characters are portrayed. But I did love the, uh, oh, Boo Boo, is that Yogi's 
friend's name. Yep. How it's just like, I'm being sued for malpractice. And he just had like the most, the best face when he said all that. He did, and he just said it straight. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. Yeah, that, I think I think that's my favorite joke of the entire trailer. Now, I'll I'll be honest, I wasn't that big of a uh, a fan of Chowder. Not because I didn't think it was funny. It's just when that show was released was kind of after my time. But I'm still a fan of this art style. I think it works well for the Hanna Barbera characters and the hu- like the humor is, you know, it's it's contemporary, but it's funny. It's got a nice rhythm to it. These visual gags, I can see, I can see taking off uh, pretty well. And I know some people are like, well, it doesn't look like the original shows. The animation doesn't look like it. And it's like, I'm sorry. The original cartoons that these characters were from also had very lifeless animation. I'm sorry. Looking back, I mean, they worked with what they were given and it works most of the time. I'm sorry. It, I just hate those people who are just like anything past 1960 is crap. And it's like, come on, come on now. Don't be like that. I agree with that too. Especially once you really, once you really dive into the history of Hanna-Barbera, you start to uh, remove those uh, rose colored lenses. A lot of animation fans need to start doing that. It's, tiring feeling with them but otherwise it looks great i can't wait i love this creator i really love chowder the fourth wall gag of the cartoon network logo on the corner of the screen gets me like almost makes me like want to bust a rib (laughs) of how much i laugh which is like well can we get rid of that get rid of what that thing oh no 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 that's permanent i've tried trust me (laughs) (laughs) or like when they run out of money they're like do you know what happens when we run out of money uh, you guys go to go out of business worse and it cuts to all the voice actors in a voice booth we run out of animation <laughs> Met- meta humor like that will never fail to to make me laugh the show was full of that stuff it was great and it was also after my time but i still was able to fully enjoy it now n- next we go to the netflix teaser for q force a spy action comedy series with a full on LGBTQ plus cast of characters and creators and showrunners. I can understand the mixed reception. There are some of the jokes that weren't very funny, but I'm still going to laugh hard when they bust into that room. And it's like, man, I wasted all that masculine energy for nothing. (laughs) It's like, it's the ideal just let down punchline of action shows. And it looks fine. Like the animation looks pretty solid. It looks different from a lot of adult comedies, which I am so happy for. And like, they're not just taking the bento box approach or they're not using bento box. Nothing against them. It's just, you know, once you see five or six shows from them, their style tends to be very repetitive. I'm watching the trailer again on mute and it's a little bit more style, a stylized version of like the animation from She-Ra, Princess of Power. Yeah, I can see that. I don't particularly think this show looks all that great. I will put a huge asterisk on this fact that there were prominent members of the LGBTQ community who were involved in making this. I don't want to speak over that community. And on that note, it also kind of bothers me that because of the trailer's mixed reception, that said creators have been getting 
her like all sorts of harassment and that's just that's not okay you can have reservations about a show or a movie a video game whatever but please please i beg of you please respect the people behind the scenes yes you cannot like the show i perfectly understand the concerns and worries about how this show is going to execute its humor half of the jokes in the show in the trailer were funny half of them were not i get it but do not harass the creators please stop being a terrible fan base stop harassing people just stop it it's not that hard anyway let's move on to something that's a little more aggravating than it should be the straight out of nowhere scooby-doo meets courage the cowardly dog trailer i understand why this collaboration happened i don't care that the creator is not a part of the film i just wish that they would freaking pick a cohesive art style with this because the courage art style does not mix with the direct to video scooby-doo look the characters do not mix, especially when you see the other humans that look exactly like the, the ones from Courage. The, the mystery gang looks off. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing a little, uh, a little bit of a dissonance between these characters. It's like, that was the thing about Courage the Cowardly Dog. It had a very distinct visual look, and now it just looks like someone's terrible fanfic came to life. Because I get it. Scooby-Doo and Courage the Cowardly Dog in one movie? I get it. That makes sense. Unlike a lot of collaborations, this one makes sense. And I love all the little gags and Easter eggs from Courage the Cowardly Dog. I love that the Bigfoot character is part of their flag. Per capita, more weird and creepy, mysterious stuff happens in nowhere than anywhere else in the world. That's a cute gag. I like that. I love hearing... Courage again. I like Courage, the Cowardly Dog. And I, by the way, the show's on HBO Max. If any, if anyone wants to check it out, it gets kind of creepy in the later half. So heads up. Well, creepier. Let's just say that. <laughs> I guess it being a direct-to-video film kind of dooms it with having to look so bland. Even though that sounds weird, you know. As far as like um, the two styles not meshing. I don't think that's really a deal breaker for me only because this is kind of the problem that a lot of cartoon crossovers have. Do you remember um, any of the crossovers from the Lilo and Stitch animated series? Where oh, like, yeah. Where yeah. like Lilo would cross over with Kim Possible, Recess. Yeah, American and, Dragon. Yep. And how like they didn't even try to, they didn't even like try to match the animation styles. Yeah, it looked distracting. The only ones that ever matched were like the Aladdin and Hercules crossover. But that was because they came out during the same time period. Everything about Butch Hartman aside, I think some of the best, like the best crossovers in terms of successfully blending the two different art styles are the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour trilogy. Because I think they did a really smart thing. You know, when the two characters are in like each other's world, they adapt to their surroundings. Well, that well, results can be mixed. Like, I really don't think um, Butch Hartman's uh, character models translate in that gaudy early 2000s CGI. 
Oh, it does not at all. My point though is that is kind of the like the gold standard of how to do a crossover with with two different art styles at once. Whereas this is like kind of like you said, it it is sort of like a uh, like a fanfic come to life. That's not a bad thing, like on its face. I like a Scooby and Courage crossover is something that like ten year old Mike would have dreamed of. Right. Uh, it's just like the, it's the human designs they don't match and i'll give a kudos to like the scooby-doo and batman the brave and the bold crossover at least they chose a batman series that would perfectly fit the direct-to-video scooby-doo films oh yeah that made sense even if i didn't like the overall movie but yeah we'll we'll just have to see I'm I'm curious to see how like that. I'm really more curious about the tone more than anything else, but we'll have to see. So recently, with Mappa celebrating ten years of productions, they re- announced that among a new anime series releasing next anime season, they are making a Chainsaw Man adaptation. Before we talk about this and then the movie that they're making with Mario Kata, we need change within the anime industry stop treating the animators like garbage and if that means you have to cut down like half of the anime made every season just so they can get paid better and they can be treated better i'm all for it i am not excusing mappa for their bad business practices when i we praise this chainsaw man trailer and the new mario kata film just so we're clear because you know we've been very vocal about how the anime industry is run oh yeah with all that said holy crap does chainsaw man look great it looks very good i mean this is map up working conditions aside there's a reason why their anime look so good and it's very vibrant the designs move fluidly and I know some people were very worried about how exactly they were going to adapt this. And I get it. I understand that like what works in a manga format may not translate well to an anime format, but this mix of 2D and CGI looks great because Chainsaw Man was one of those manga that hit, like we're one of the new titans of horror action, like Jujutsu Kaisen and such. So I'm very excited for it. Of course, with the be- the knowledge that the working conditions and all that jazz. Is this from the same um, from the same uh, kanji as uh, Jujutsu Kaisen? Um, I don't think so, but they did have like a string of like really big talent that's going to be working on it. Um, well, like uh, Ryu Nakayama. Who worked on? Who was an episode director for Jujutsu Kaisen? Is directing the anime, and then got like Hiroshi Seko, who worked on Attack on Titan, is writing the scripts. Kazutaka Sugiyama, who worked on Jobless Reincarnation, is designing the characters. Uh, Tatsuya Yoshihara, who worked on like Monster Musume, and Black Clover, is directing the action. Then we got like Makoto Nakazono, who did uh, Brock's favorite anime darling in the franks um is serving as the technical director uh you got kiyotaka oshiyama who worked on devil man cryberry baby and space dandy who's de- who's designing the devils which makes a lot of sense then you got yusuke takeda is the art director then you got like naomi nakano for color key artists and 
it, like it's a who's who in anime production that is an all-star creative team right there yeah and they're that's a pro and con of mappa they put a lot of good work in but they are just not a well-run studio and i hate that because it makes enjoying these shows less fun you know and then speaking of with mappa they have a trailer for a film penned by Mario Kata, who is directing and writing the Alice to Tresse Illusory Factory film, which this looks great. Just a visual level. It's amazing to look at. I don't really know much about Mario Kata, but just going by this trailer, it looks beautiful. And I don't know when um, this is getting a stateside release, but this feels like something that I need to see in theaters. Yeah, Mario Kata, for those that may not know, did Anohana, uh, Oh Maidens and Your Savage Voyage, Makia, When the Promised Flowers Bloom, and wrote this story for A Whisker Away, but I don't blame her for that. So it's like, her style is, do you like feeling emotions? Do you like that moment when you're about to cry in a Pixar film? We're turning that to 11. So, <laughs> because like Machia is just one of the few films I will ugly cry when watching. So it, it looks good. And an, a cool first love Fantasia story. There, there's a lot of fun to be had. And it looks great. They haven't set a release date. So we'll just have to see. Now for Netflix, they released a teaser trailer for Spriggan. They're like, the, I think the last of their... Uh, lineup from last October that they showed off I think so yeah and I think this will work better as a series than the movie that came out in I forgot when like either late 90s or early 1998 okay yeah that makes sense which had great animation but a mediocre plot like the action in that film looked great and it, it looks good this mix of 2d and cgi I think will lead will give it more advantages in the action department. We'll just have to see how the story goes and what have you. And then Disney was just like, hey, we got more stuff to talk about. We got released the official trailer for the Marvel What If series that's coming out uh, next month on August 11th with you know a bunch of stories of what if stories, like what if Black Panther became a Star-Lord or what if Killmonger met Tony Stark. It it looks great. I love this CGI animation that they're using. It's very stylish. Oh, yeah. Um, the CGI looks great. There's one thing I need to address because there, there's this one fake news article going around like with a, with a headline that says like Captain Marvel and Doctor Strange have been like quietly replaced. And A, that article is bullshit because those actors aren't going anywhere. And B, according to Wikipedia... Characters like Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Tannelier Teven, the Collector, Doctor Strange, Carol Danvers, they will appear, but they'll be voiced by different actors who portray them in the movies. I'm going to assume that's because of scheduling, that maybe they couldn't get these actors in for a, a recording session. So they must have hired like hired vo voice actors for like for like match vocals or yeah, no, we'll we'll have to see because they are bringing they did bring a bunch of the main MCU cast back like Chris Hemsworth and 
Sachin, this is will be the very last thing we hear Chadwick Boseman in, which is going to be gut-wrenchingly sad. Yeah. But I like the creativity. I like seeing that like they're going to finally tackle Marvel zombies. That's going to be dark. I think that might... That and, obviously, T'Challa as, um, as Star-Lord are probably two of my most anticipated... Um, episodes of this series they don't really make it clear in this trailer whether each episode is sort of like its own story or like they all kind of converge towards the end whatever the scenario is i just know this this looks great and i want to see this as soon as possible yeah no and then it's got my man howard the duck (laughs) voiced by seth green yeah yeah now we got another trailer for hotel transylvania Transformania and it adds a little more to like everything. We see of course Blobby turn into a thing of green jello and they're the rest of the journey of them going to South America to cure them of their humanness. <laughs> <laughs> um it looks really cute. I'm curious to see how the story unfolds. Some of the visual gags are funny. Like I love like when Drac is like, oh no, the sun and Andy Samberg's character is just like, you're not a vampire anymore. You can enjoy the sun. And it's like, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And then his eyes just dry up instantly because, you know, you still don't stare at the sun, people. Just don't stare at the sun. <laughs> it looks good. And I, I still like this animation. I know some people are not on board of Sony's like frantic cartoony animation. I love it. So yeah, I think, I think this style of like, cartoony kind of looney tunes style visual gags in in cd animation sony has by this point pretty much perfected that art form yeah it looks really good the shading's all nice nice and it's all very snappy i i really dig it cameron i I have to point out this is coming out the same day as adam's family too so the question is which one do you think will move and which one stays on this date I'm going to say they're just going to fight. <laughs> I'm going to be like Ken Watanabe and Godzilla. Let them, Let them fight. fight. I can't see them moving anything. Like, it's a it's lucrative. And I think they'll both do well. Because speaking of, we got an Adam Family 2 trailer. And since that film, the, the, the previous one was made on a very small budget. And this one looks to be on an also equally small budget. I think it will be fine unless people just do not show up for it. But, you know, wouldn't make for a bad double feature. I just... What, um, one interesting note about the sequel is um, the voice of Pugsley has been replaced. In the first film, he was voiced by Finn Wolfhard. But in this movie, he is uh, voiced by Javin Wana Walton. I mean, like... Overall, with this trailer, it looks fine. The visuals look a little more polished. A lot more textures went into, like, the water and details and such, where I enjoyed the 2019 film, but it really pushed, like, okay, this looks super direct-to-video or low-key streaming service. Like, the only thing that kept it in theaters was the voice cast that it had. Yeah, the, had... the voice the voice cast for for the Adams family is 
picture perfect. Well, it's like they did a good job. They had, you know, Oscar Isaac, Nick Kroll, Charlize Theron, Chloe Grace Moretz. Yep. As Wednesday. And of course, Wednesday still had the best gag with the voodoo doll in the trailer. But the story, you really couldn't have come up with a better story than a family road trip. I don't know. It seems very 90s Adams family and not what the Adams family would actually do. Yeah, for, for better or for worse, I'm getting kind of uh, Adams family values vibes from, from this. And as much as I love uh, family values, I don't like the idea of this uh, franchise basically riding the coattails of the 90s movies. I would prefer if, if they kind of formed their own identity or at the very least stayed closer to the original Charles Adams comics. Or at least stay close to the original black and white sitcom. Because that, that one was also very charming and funny still. Like you watch it, it holds up probably more than most of those shows from that time period. It ha- I mean, the trailer has a few cute lines. Like I like Uncle Fester being like, oh boy, dinner, my favorite meal to eat during the nighttime. And, and that little, of course, gag of like, man, I still can't understand what he's saying <laughs> with Cousin It. Though why do they bring back Snoop Dogg? It's so pointless. You can't tell it's him, not in a, whoa, he's acting. No, they sped up his voice. It could have been ev- anyone. I think may- maybe part of, part of his contract is he gets to make an entrance using one of his own songs. Yeah, because, I mean, that was cute. I, I did dig that. I don't know. I guess I wanted to see if this sh- film was going to go up and ante with the dark comedy. But we'll just have to see. It looks harmless. We've already seen Spirit Untamed. It, can, it has to be better than that. It has to be more interesting than that. Oh, of course. And then we got a full trailer for Netflix's Masters of the Universe, Revelation Part 1. The more I see of this Masters of the Universe series or special or miniseries, it just looks great. I, I'm so pumped for it. The animation even for like powerhouse animation standards looks way better and more interesting. And I know some people were like, oh, the, the trailer's li- revealed to us and they're lying. He-Man's not going to be the main character. And it's just like, I, y'all, come on. I am igno- know I'm that. ignoring literally everyone who's saying all that. And not so, just, and not just because Kevin Smith himself is like, Hey, um, None of that's true. Sit down. Yeah, just sit down and shut up, everyone. And, and plus, be thankful you're getting something with He-Man. You know, they could have just let this thing die into dust. He-Man at its best is Star Wars meets Lord of the Rings. And with this trailer, I get exactly that vibe. And it and I'm sorry, I do love the corniness of the 80s series and the early 2000s series. It has to be a mix of all that for me, for it to work. Because it's already got me with its animation and the voice cast. I mean, come on, Mark Hamill as Skeletor. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So we'll just have to see. I can't wait to see it later this month. Same. And then we got the Mortal Kombat Legends Battle of the Realms animated film trailer. This 
trailer and film announcement came out of nowhere because I feel like they were already going to make a sequel anyway. But the like, I think the original, like the first one, Scorpion's Revenge, was supposed to come out during the same time as Mortal Kombat. But, you know, the pandemic. Right. So they just released it to just like, um, here's a Mortal Kombat thing. And now that the Mortal Kombat film came out, I didn't care for it, but that's just me. And now it's like, okay, people want Mortal Kombat stuff. Well, here's a new movie. And I will say, Battle of the Realms looks fun. I can't wait for this. This looks like the Mortal Kombat movie that we all want. I think I liked Scorpion's Revenge a little bit more than you did, but I think we can both agree that this movie just looks great. And it's a shame we probably won't ever get Joel McHale as a live action Johnny Cage because he's kind of the perfect casting for that character. Oh, he's so, he's so perfect. Like, I just love that. It's like, okay, you know what? Fine. You wanted fights. We're going to give you fights. It's probably going to be action heavy. There's going to be very little plot, but I did love, I, I love that they brought Stryker on, like one of the most boring Mortal Kombat characters. They just brought a cop into a battle for the fate of humanity. <laughs> and I don't care that he was voiced by Ron Perlman in that 90s cartoon that was awful. It, it's just surreal. You got Kung Fu art, artists. You got uh, Jax with the robot arms. You got Scorpion and Sub-Zero and apparently Sub-Zero's brother. And yet, yeah, sure, let's bring the mall cop along. <laughs> no offense to Striker fans or Striker himself. It's just, it's funny. I'm sorry. It's going to be funny. It, it, but it looks good. I hope it's fun. It, it just needs to be exciting. It needs to be like Batman, Soul of the Dragon, and I'll be happy. So. As long as it matches Soul of the Dragon, I will be satisfied. Oh, yeah. one, one last thing. Shao Kahn. Oh, Shao Kahn. That's going to, I'm just happy to see him. So before we go, though, we did see a trailer for Tig Notaro's Drawn, her new comedy special. That's coming out um, later this month as well, which we might have to tackle because, come on, it's a fully animated comedy special. It's kind of right in our wheelhouse. It, we have to. When are we ever going to talk about an animated comedy special? Never. <laughs> I really dig that they went with all these vibrant art styles for the jokes. Like, they don't just stick to one. Like, they could have easily just done one art style and just have Tig just walking back and forth on the on the stage with an animated crowd but then they went like we don't have to do anything we could just go out of five and then tig and the team of animators are like okay so you want us to go to to 15 okay we'll do that (laughs) the animation looks great I, I think this trailer kind of blew me away because I, I wasn't expecting the variety nearly to this extent. I think like at most I was expecting like, um, for, for lack of a better term, that like that kind of Scooby-Doo direct-to-video sort of like base animation style. Yeah, like the one that you see through the most part of the, uh, of the trailer. It's like I could have easily seen them do that, but then they don't. And it's just, it's great looking. And it's also very funny. I love the Kool-Aid man joke that they throw in there. And then the spider one at the end. <laughs> that, that, that was fun. Yeah. And just all the visual stuff or like the one where, where Tig is talking is like, you know, I collapsed due to internal bleeding. And then you hear someone in the audience go, woo. And she's like, thank you. 
<laughs> oh, I, I think I think another one of my favorite jokes was like, "Oh, is that is that a new laugh you're trying out?" Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It sounds like you had a new laugh to try out. It's like, okay, I think I'm going to do it, and then she <laughs> does it. And you just have to have fun when a comedian does that, right? Like reacts to an audience member because the best comedians will take that and run with it. Like if you've seen like Gabriel Iglesias, he does that so much. Like with his, uh, I think it's called like the one special that fits all. He does that like when someone says, we love you, Fluffy. And due to the context of a joke he talked about, he's like, are you going to give me a Prius? (laughs) (laughs) It just looks great. And then we had our first trailer reveal for the upcoming My Little Pony series and film, A New Generation, which included Vanessa Hudgens as our main character, Sunny Star Scout. Kimiko Glenn as Izzy Moonbow, James Marsden as Hitch Trailblazer, Sophia Carson as Fifth Petals, Lisa Koshi as Zip Storm, Ken Jong as Sprout, Elizabeth Perkins as Phyllis, Jane Krakowski as Queen Haven, Bill Lamar as Alpha Biddle, and Michael McKean as Argyle. I love this cast. <laughs> Did they really need to go that hard for, for, for My Little Pony, A New Generation? Like, I, I get it. It's Netflix. They have, like, infinite money tree. But come on. Look at this. This is great. Well, I love seeing Kimiko Glenn and more stuff. I, I just love her. And and I love seeing James Marsden because I feel like people kind of slept on him as an actor. And then everyone's like, oh, wait, he can be a good and can be a very funny actor. Who knew? I knew. But still. <laughs> And of course, I love seeing Phil Lamar and Jane Krakowski. And it'll be interesting to see Michael McKeon because he's in that new Rugrats show we haven't talked about yet. Oh, yeah. But we'll, we'll have to get to that sometime because we still have to get to the Fungies and Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous. Our backlist is um, backed up. Yeah, it is. Luckily, we can now get to what we actually need to talk about. We are done with the trailers. Whew. All right. Let's quickly talk about the Looney Tunes season two batch of cartoons. It's good. I mean, what else can you say that we haven't said already about the first three batches of shorts? Like the, really, they, they add a few new things. They, can, they return with the beaky buzzer gags. They have more new telephone pa- uh, gags. And then they do a new one with Foghorn, Leghorn, and the dog with the end of the leash gags. Mm-hmm. And, but they also do a lot more, like, they'll either do two to three segments. They were definitely a lot more, like, open to just, like, going off on that because, you know, sometimes you might have enough ideas for two segments or for one segment or three. Really, like, they don't, like, nothing has really changed, but they make about three deep cuts. Oh, yeah. One of them is, as Cameron pointed out to me earlier, Porky's nephew, um, Cicero, is apparently a, um, a character from the comics who's kind of making his animation debut. And that's, a, and that's kind of a big deal because most modern incarnations of the Looney Tunes are really just kind of resorted to, you know, the marquee names like the Bugs and the Daffy and the Porky. Sylvester, Wiley Coyote, but like we don't get to see the the deep cuts as often. 
No, and then they bring back Charlie Dog for the Adopt Me short, which I think that's my favorite one because it's just nonstop visual gags and puns. And then um, which one was it? It was the uh, one where they where Bugs encounters the the dog with the red hair. Rage Rover. No, uh, I don't know. I don't. No, not that one. That's the that's the very funny uh, Marvin the Martian one dealing with the oh. moon rover with the the rover on Mars. Okay, yeah, that one that one's funny. Oh, and to the teammates or the team members of the Looney Tunes team that snuck in a Rover Dangerfield reference. I I love y'all. I saw that and I'm like, <laughs> what? Are you serious? It's like that rover is going over my danger field. And it's like, oh, you sneaky sons of a gun. Oh. The, the short I'm talking about is Bonehead with the red Russian dog. Voiced That's by James, the one. Yeah, voiced by James Arnold Taylor in a very not James Arnold Taylor role. Maybe it's just because I recently watched that terrible Ratchet and Clank film. Like, I'm so used to his Titus and Ratchet voice or his Green Arrow from Brave and the Bold. But you could not tell that was him. To his credit, he, um, James Arnold Taylor is, he's a, he's a very perfect mimic. Like a lot of the characters in his repertoire are voice matches. I think he's done um, Captain Jack Sparrow in one of the Kingdom Hearts games. Oh yeah, he did. He's best known for Obi-Wan Kenobi, for the Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars. And I think he was in a little bit of Rebels. That's like his his claim to fame but then he shows up in something like this he's he still just knocks it out of the park yeah no the, the actors that they have for these shorts are so good they do a fantastic job impersonating that specific time period of the characters were you expecting them to kind of dive into the darker humor like in rotund rabbit oh god <laughs> um that and uh and mummy dummy they though those get those get gruesome they absolutely do and and i give like the teams making these like writing and setting these up battle of the bunk sounds like such a limited idea for a short like it sounds like it would have been better as a like in between gag but i love that they just go the extra mile with it especially like when daffy gets Porky off the top bunk by by turning the bottom bunk into a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go through all this hassle and hell. And it's just like, you know what? I'm too tired for this. How about we just share the top bunk? <laughs> and then we'll talk about it in the morning. It, like, it was very amusing. I loved the humor. I like the humor in these shorts is still very top notch. I love the asphalt and battery. First of all, that's a dark title mm -hmm. um they're still knocking out of the park i haven't found one like a one episode so far or one short where i would have said oh that was a misfire uh, i mean like what do you think like would you say there was one that you were like ah eh, i don't know honestly not really because even if like i think my some of my least favorite like transitions are i love tweety and sylvester but i I don't think the telephone pole gags go far, like go far enough. But but hot air buffoon is that that was fun. I think the uh, the telephone gag where he's climbing up the pole and then it goes upside down, like where he's climbing up 
and it looks like he's he was turned upside down and then he's going down and then like the the ground crushes him from both ends that one's good that's a very tex avery bob clampett kind of like joke i i just love these shorts but again just like the last batch that we talked about i'm kind of ready for them to start shaking things up a bit i understand why they do pair daffy with porky and such i get that i'm glad that they paired daffy up with elmer fudd again though not as dark of a punchline at the end as the shoe shine one <laughs> hmm. but i'm ready for to like and maybe it's just because i grew up with more of the uh chuck jones incarnations of the characters like bugs interacting with daffy a whole lot i'm I'm kind of ready to see more variations among the main cast and I, I get it they they make these in like big batches so they probably are like constantly thinking ahead of time of what they're making and so it's like what are they going to make shorts out of but it's like oh we got more sylvester and tweety more bugs on his own more daffy and porky together okay <laughs> yeah i'm I'm ready to see some some new combinations like i'm really curious how this daffy would interact with this bugs i also kind of want to see like like a new iteration of bugs bunny outsmarting wily e. coyote yeah because that happened in what in like what one or two of the shorts i think f- i think five total whoa and i don't know it, it's like I'm not and like I'm not getting tired of these shorts. I'm not going to get tired of these shorts. They're all great, and all the talent behind them is great. I just want to see either more characters or more variation of like interactions and such because you kind of know exactly what's going to happen now with Daffy and Porky. It's really just like when they decided to go the dark route <laughs> of the jokes, like when in Rotund Rabbit after bugs loses all that excess weight <laughs> he, yeah he, exp- he, he turns into more or less a rag doll a rag doll with just eyes that are just like sunken in like gums bleeding red it's like oh but um like what would you say about these shorts like this new batch i think on the whole this new batch just it does a good job at continuing a the spirit of the of like the classic 1940s shorts but b they really lean into like the modern sense of humor that's you know just family friendly enough that kids can still watch these but just dark enough for adults who maybe who maybe like grew up with cartoon network in the early years where like every day they had like Looney Tunes shorts, you know, more more frequently than they do now. I am enjoying these shorts. I love this new batch. I want to see more. I'm ready for more. With that said, let's move on to one of the two surprisingly short films we had to watch. Yeah. The first one we have is available now on Funimation, The Stranger by the Shore from Studio Hibari. Written and directed by, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Akio uh, Ohashi, based on the manga on the manga L'Etranger de la Plage 
by Kanakil. So on the island off the coast of Okinawa, two young men meet on the beach, Shun Hashimoto, a gay novelist, and Mio Chibana, a somber high school student. Day by day, the two of them grow closer, but then suddenly, Mio decides to leave the island. They reunite three years later, and Mio says he is ready to be with Shun, but will Shun make the commitment? So the total runtime for this movie is like 59 minutes. It's like just short of an hour. I think I could have used about 30 more minutes. Wouldn't you agree? I think they could have made at least 20 or 30 more minutes for to like add on to this just to let everything breathe a little, just to let the characters just be characters. Let them live among the the world that they set up because it's a very charming low-key uh gay love story and i like the two characters i like their conflicts though i think um some of them one of them gets more of a story arc than the other which like i think shun has the more like the arc of what he needs to it's a coming of age kind of story for oh yeah story arc for him then mio has a lot of buildup, but then not a whole lot of payoff because then it's really about him telling shun to just grow up like come on just get it together and such but like first of all the animation for this film it looks great just a lovely looking movie i think just the backgrounds alone are absolutely stunning there's there's that one that one shot the sunset that i kind of want to like frame on my wall it just it just looked amazing yeah it just great color usage a lot of great backgrounds and like and i get it it's like the, the main arc is of shun kind of getting over the hate of like discrimination for being gay and just a rough family upbringing and then of course a failed marriage and then his feel like his feelings for Mio when because like when he first meets Mio Mio is just like a high school student who recently lost his mom and then he comes back a few years later when he's 20 so he was probably like 17 when he met Shun and Shun is like 27, I think, by the time the story catches up. Okay, that, w- that was one thing that kind of confused me. Like, I was not, I wasn't sure like what the age gap was. And one, one of the detriments of, of this movie being so short is that it kind of doesn't warn you that the time, that the time skip is about to happen. It just kind of happens. That's the problem. Like, they, like we say 20 and 30 minutes because this, the story flows very roughly into each conflict because it has it has the like shun and me and mio first meeting and then just the kind of angstiness of mio dealing with the loss of his mom and then it goes from shun pretty much dealing with everything under the sun like bad memories at school a bad attempt at a wedding because he never actually got married and then his just kind of like reigniting his feelings for Mio. And when the story is able to focus on that aspect of, of the story, it's really touching. It's very charming. And like, it, it does a good job capturing 
the intimate relationship between Shun and Mio. And granted, the goal of them, like that is for them to have sex, is a little like, really? That's the best goal you could have come up with? Apparently the sequel manga to, to this story handles the story a bit better. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, um, like that, that's what my, we my, le- my least favorite part of their love story is like no pun intended the climax is their climax other, other, other than that i you know i i was invested in in their romance and while shun can sometimes come off as unlikable when he's you know basically a committophobe you know half half the time i was yelling at shun because to some extent I can kind kind of relate to that in the sense that like people our age don't always know exactly what they want. And and I understand that because I was in that after I stopped like getting a career for QA testing in the game industry. It's like I was lost. I was like, I don't know what I want to commit to. And then I found something I loved and that reignited my passion. And I'm happy about that. But yeah, it, I can understand some people being like, Shun, God dang it. <laughs> and, and and don't get me wrong, like as much as like the main end goal of them is to have sex is, eh. The passionate lovemaking scene is handled very well. Oh yeah. It, it's very intimate, low-key. It's not raunchy. It's very, it's portrayed in a very loving and very cute kind of way. And I give kudos to Josh Grell and Justin Briner for having to reenact that. But yeah, I give them kudos for having to act that out. And though my voice acting fan side of my brain is kind of stuck on the fact that Mio is is the same voice actor who voices Izuku Midoriya from My Hero Academia and Josh Grell voices Tokoyami from My Hero Academia. And it's like, oh, this is going to launch a bunch of weird unintentional fanfics oh god i i could i can already picture the ships yeah no it it's just very it like i said it's a very cute movie i adored it and i loved like the little offbeat or joke moments in their relationship like it can be a very funny movie can we can we talk about like the supporting cast like the like um the family that shun is living with and how basically the like the the dynamic between shun and is that his his sister or like cousin or i think it was just another tenant who lived at that that inn along with uh Uh, well whoever whoever she was they're like their constant bickering always made me chuckle yeah no they were very good and i love that (laughs) it's like oh man you staying here has a lot of perks, doesn't it, Mio? And Shun's just like, shut up. <laughs> but yeah, I wish they just added 20 or 30 more minutes. Like, it would have been fun just to see them walk around on the beach, just have some quiet time, like, with each other. Because a lot of the screen time is shared with them kind of at con- in conflict with one another of like Mio wants to be with Shun but Shun doesn't really know what he wants it like it, it takes up a little too much time but at the same time I get it they needed some kind of plot right it's, it's just it's very predictable 
gay romance plots because I've I've kind of seen this before with uh, Do Kiyose uh, classmates, which is also an hour long. <laughs> I don't know why these gay romance films get only an hour of runtime because they could have absolutely used more. But in general, I really liked The Strangers by the Shore. It's not in my top 10. It's in my top 20, though. It's near the top 10. I don't think this will stay at, like, it'll be far below my top 10, but I still really enjoyed this for, for what it was. It's a very sweet love story. The animation is gorgeous. The, like, the humor is subtle, but if, if you have, like, my kind of dry sense of humor, it is... It's funny. Go, just go watch it. It, it, won't, it won't cost you anything. Just a, uh, just a subscription to Funimation. And that way you can watch a ton of great anime like Kageki Shoko and uh, The Duke and the, His Maid. I'm just saying. Or you can watch Horamiya. ton of great anime out this year for, on Funimation. <laughs> Which I can't wait to dive into. Oh, uh, yeah. I have a few recommendations uh, from Crunchyroll and, and Funimation. So, But yeah, I highly recommend it. Check it out. It's one of the few approachable and viable ways to watch like legally watch a gay romance anime film that doesn't cost a huge amount of money like Dokio say that did golly like they wanted 60 bucks for that really? blu-ray yet and it's this aniplex i think they were the same ones who distributed it but i was oh, like no that, that makes sense now that they yeah. that they charge an arm and a leg yeah oh and like, I know people are like, well, just import it. Well, it's like, well, mm, I don't want to deal with that hassle, even if you have a region-free Blu-ray player. And, of course, as usual, just like, I'm not fully into piracy, but I get it when if some people have to. But definitely, if you can support the official release of it, do so. Yes. We've approached our next stop on the Ghibli journey. It has taken us to 2002's The Cat Returns. Um, a spinoff of um, a movie we haven't gotten to yet, Whisper of the Heart, based on the manga of the same name by... Uh, Aoi uh, Hiragi, and it's directed by Hiroyuki Morita, one of the few non-Ghibli um, originals, or Ghibli regulars at the studio to direct a official feature film. At the time, this was, this was only the second film not directed by Miyazaki or... Takahata. Um, so the story we follow Haru, a schoolgirl bored by her ordinary routine. One day she saves the life of an unusual cat, and suddenly her world is transformed beyond anything she ever imagined. The Cat King, voiced by the ever awesome Tim Curry, rewards her good deed with a flurry of presents, including a very shocking proposal of marriage to his son. Haru embarks on an unexpected journey to the kingdom of cats where her eyes are opened to a whole other world. So let's talk a little bit about the production history of this film. It's actually really interesting. Oh yeah. Um, because they really, because it, you know, when they released Whisper to Heart back in 1995, which is a great Ghibli film, one of my favorites. Um, it was also based off of a manga by the same person who did The Cat Returns. Yep, And then they were commissioned to, uh, by a Japanese theme park to create a 20-minute short starring cats. And Miyazaki wanted three elements. He wanted the Baron, 
Muta and a mysterious antique shop. Well, things fell through. The manga came out, Baron the Cat Returns. And so then he thought like, you know, I want, I'll do something with this and turned it into a 45 minute long short. And then he was looking and was like, okay, y'all, we're kind of busy right now directing our next movies. Who wants to tackle this? And then Hiroyuki Morita, who worked on like uh, My Neighbors, the Yamadas, translated Hiragi's story into 525 pages of storyboards. Woof! But it's storyboards, so it makes sense it's that big. And Miyazaki said like, yeah, sure, we'll turn it into a movie, a 75 minute long movie, because they liked how Morita uh, handled Haru. And then, well, this is what happened. But it also had help from production IG and DR movie and telecom animation film. Well, Mike, for your first non-Miyazaki and non-Takahata directed film out of three or so, or four, what did you think about this one? I really liked it. Um, I'd be lying if I said it was on the same level of like the classics like Castle in the Sky or or even Only Yesterday, but for what it is, a basically an extended version of what would have been a 45 minute short. It's really good. I think what elevates this for me is the the English dub cast, which listen, listen to some of these names. You got Anne Hathaway as Haru, Carrie Elwes reprising his role as the Baron, Peter Boyle as, uh, as Muta, who is just, he's just a laugh riot. Elliot Gould as Toto. Tim Curry, obviously, as the Cat King. Andrew Bevis as Prince Lune. Judy Greer as Yuki. Renee Aubergenois as uh, Natori. And one of my favorites, Andy Richter as uh, Natoru. Christine Sutherland as Haru's mom, uh, Naoko. And a young Kristen Bell as Romy. That's a stacked cast for, for an English dub of an anime, wouldn't you say? It's a very good cast for a very small scale film. This is one of the shorter Ghibli films because a lot of them aim at two hours. Mm-hmm. And th- like, it's interesting to see the difference between a two hour runtime and a 75 minute runtime. Because it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to finally get to the cat kingdom. Even though it takes like, about five minutes for the cats to arrive in Haru's world. And it was just fun to see them, t- like see someone that wasn't Miyazaki or Takahata tackle a film. It's kind of like when you watch that dark age of Disney era of Disney films, like after Walt passed away and such. Oh yeah. And it's like the same, like of the nine old men working like every other film. And you kind of pick up what kind of, director they are what kind of storyteller they are designer and what have you here it's like you get to see what someone else can do with the budget of of a ghibli film and it's very charming i liked the overall movie i have a few complaints but it's mostly just like i wish it was longer i wish there was a little more action i want to be in this world that's pretty much the extent of of my criticisms too i wish we had more time to spend in the cat kingdom especially i I kind of wish we met Prince Loon a little bit before 
obviously returns at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. No, um, he vanishes for, like, a mass majority of the film. And then, I guess just as a character, Haru could have been a little bit more more of a personality outside of a discount Alice from Alice in Wonderland. Well, the problem is, is that The Cat Returns is a very entry-level Ghibli movie. It's kind of like Castle in the Sky in that regards. Like, if Castle in the Sky was a little more lightweight. Because the characters are very simple. Haru has a lot of self-doubt. And she doesn't believe in herself or what she wants to do or what she thinks her future has for her. And that's like a constant thing with the cat baron saying like, you got to believe in yourself. And that's a great message. No, it is. It is. It's just very familiar that we've seen. And then they just add a lot of charm and charisma to the cat kingdom and the cat characters. Fun fact, um, Andy Richter's character, Natoru, is delightfully like kind of sadistic in a way like he's kind of has a, a innocent sinisterness to his personality and this is one of the few casting things that people have an issue with not because like Andy Richter doesn't do a bad uh, a good job he does he's del- he's very funny and it's amazing it's good to remember how funny Andy Richter can be but the character he voices was actually a female character. Oh yeah, I can kind of see that now in the design. Yeah, so it's a little weird. I wonder if they just couldn't find someone or they just thought, hey, let's just change things up a bit because who cares, I guess. <laughs> I'll give Disney the benefit of the doubt. Assume that it was probably like a blind, like a blind audition. They, they must not have really known that much about the original character. Right. Because not like... Natoru doesn't sound like a feminine name. No, but you look at the design and it's like, oh, it makes sense. And you see some of the mannerisms. And by the way, this will not be the last time we see Carrie Elways because he'll pop up in, like we said, Whisper to Heart, but he'll pop up in one more Ghibli film. I think it's one more. I forgot, but don't look it up. I want to keep it a surprise. But if, and I love the Baron. He's such a fun action hero fantasy character. He, <laughs> I love like when he's fighting off the guards in the third act with the cane. And I'm glad they didn't go with like, oh, it's a sword hidden within the cane. It's just a cane. And he just look at the cane. And he's like, well, I bent it, but uh, who cares? I needed a new one anyway. <laughs> and then of course we have Peter Boyle in his one voiceover role. Or at least one of the few few he did, but it was like it's the one that he's most known for as Muta or Ronaldo Moon. And at first, I was like, I don't know if the voice fits or like his performance fits the character. But then Baron's like, Oh, that's a shame. I was gonna break out some angel food cake. Okay, where's where is it? <laughs> that that like- that's that's when I knew I was gonna like this character. And they do those little Ghibli charming things like Toto voiced by Elliot Gold, who's not in the movie a whole lot. But, and it was just kind of weird that they got such a big name for the character. But I guess it's like Elliot Gold has a cool voice. Let's bring him on. And like he's like, oh, I'll go get my mulberries uh, to have along with the cake. And then Muta is making whipped cream for the cake and the Baron's helping out with that. It's, it's all very cute. But then we have to talk about at least one of the most fun villains or 
antagonistic characters that Tim Curry as the Cat King. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot the exact behind the scenes thing with the Cat King. Like just like the mannerisms and such. Like because I think like there was a different there's a variation of how Tim Curry portrays him like in the original Japanese dub. But I, I love like the first thing you when you see him, he just lazily looks over and he's like, Sup babe. <laughs> he talks like a cool 60s hippie that you would see on like the a beach in California or Florida or something. And I didn't expect that when when he was first introduced. I, I was expecting a little a more, I guess, stereotypical Tim Curry performance. And he right. does he does he does kind of devolve into that like as as he gets angrier and he becomes more of like the villain. Yeah. But when he's first introduced, it, it was a little bit jarring, like hearing him like, oh, ev- everything's going great, babe. Yeah, don't worry about it, babe. It's like, how about you get a cool cat? Like, I'll take care of you, baby. <laughs> but it, it fits within this weird world that they build. And I love like the little entertainment sequence where they think that Haru who like when she enters the cat kingdom starts to slowly turn into a cat. They think she's depressed or just like, she's not happy. Well, of course she's not happy. She doesn't want to be there. She's turning into a cat. They bring in all these entertainers and then, <laughs> and then they bring in like, then like if they're not amusing enough or just like because of the cat king and Natori voiced by Renee are misunderstanding why Haru is upset. They just chuck them out the window <laughs> I, every, every time that happened, I, I would say, you threw off the emperor's groove. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, but you've thrown off his groove. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it was just very charming. This movie has a delightful sense of humor or like when they're trying to get through the maze and the cat guards are blocking with those fake walls. And then like they knock over the walls and it sets like a, up a perfect path to the mm-hmm. tower like there's a lot of delightful gag visual gags and dialogue jokes i think this might be one of the more playful ghibli movies that i've seen yeah and it might just because that they just it's a delightful fantasy tale so just have fun with it and they do that like the cat king is very expressive as a character he's not just that kind of like lazy stoned out king like when they keep progressing in the maze, his eyes bulge out and then they like spin around. And then they're like, hmm, now where's my remote to blow up the tower? And it's like, it's back in the in the castle, sir. You'd have to go and get it. And then Naturu pops up. He's like, look what I found. <laughs> There's just so much personality within this film that I'm not saying you don't see this in future Ghibli films, but you don't see it enough per se like i don't know i'm at that point in my life where i'm kind of like i love the later ghibli films i mean we've talked about that i love the later ones but i'm also like the more i watch the more fantastical films i miss that as well based on what i've seen so far my style of ghibli is like the first half of their library you know cast on the sky nausicaa the ones that are more like the swashbuckling adventures. And I o- I almost think that I could watch like a full 26 episode anime series set in the Cat Kingdom because I just love these characters so much. 
they could have really made a whole series of films within the cat kingdom and such because they do introduce a few universe building elements that they don't really explain like how dogs are in this universe but they're like you know cattle and herd like animals because you see one dog in the background at one point and then they never bring attention to that yeah he's he's just there and it's a fantasy adventure thing the way that the film portrays the cat kingdom it's very small very low-key it's like it's just one side of a kingdom of like a world that they could have gone to it's just fun to watch the cat baron interact with haru it's just so cute and charming and just how royal and regal the cat baron is he kind of has a sense of humor but he's mostly just kind of, he's very straight-faced as a Ghibli protagonist. It's Elways who brings that charisma out of the character. Yeah, and like I said, with the world building and such, they reveal very late in the movie that Muta was this cat thief known as Ronaldo Moon. Okay, that doesn't add anything to the story. They, they did kind of like foreshadow that earlier with like one of the Cat King's assistants being like, Hmm, I know this cat. He looks familiar. Yeah, but it was just, it felt very last minute to me. The re- the reveal kind of felt tacked on. Probably would have worked better if this was like a, like an episode of, an, of a full-length anime. Yeah, no, I wish there was one more fight between the king, the cat king and the baron. Just like, because it ends on such one of those like samurai jousting kind of things where they jump at one another and you don't realize who lost until like a few seconds after they land. Oh yeah, a, that, that, was, that classic trope. Yeah, and even though all the worst that happens to the Cat King is he loses that purple eye thing, which was that purple eye thing causing him to go mad? Because they don't really explain that that's well. A, that's a good question. I was thinking it was due to just the world itself and some of the little elements that they put together but it, it was just interesting that that they gave him that little eye that third eye thing and don't really call attention to it and i do love the ending though when they return to the human world and they get walked down a flight of crows that was a great sequence that's like the real ghibli whimsy there or like when the baron says farewell to haru where he's just like if you need me you can call me anytime then spin jumps into the air and then lands on Toto and flies off. And it, it's just kind of cute. And it was a cute ending too, where Haru and her friend Hiromi are just like, you know, like I'm not going to worry about right now or what's going to happen in the future. I'm just going to take it in stride, which is a very good way of looking at things. But in the end, I uh, this is just a cute a movie to to watch and one i would definitely recommend if you want to start on the smaller side of ghibli to show to people and i've seen this with a lot of people they choose this movie to ease them into like the castle in the sky the spirited away the grave of the fireflies and whatnot i would agree this is if if you just want to like a little taste of like what what ghibli is capable of then this is a good it's a good sample size even even if like Miyazaki wasn't directly involved, his fingerprints are still kind of deep within its its DNA. Right, right. Um, which before we spin the wheel, I do kind of want to ask because I I brought this up in in a Facebook group. How much longer do you think Ghibli 
will be around after Miyazaki officially retires? Should they be around longer? Well, I mean, we've talked about this before. Miyazaki and Toshio Suzuki did not do a good job. How how to word this? They didn't future-proof their studio because Takahata is now gone. Whatever directors they did have either passed away, which is what sadly happened to the Whisper of the Heart director, or they moved on to make to other studios and other projects like um like the Deer King director worked on Ghibli films before moving into the anime industry more like more into it. And then the guy who directed um Arietti and when Marnie was there founded his own studio with a ton of the veterans from Ghibli. So and they made, you know, Mary and the Witch's Flower, which I still think is great. I don't care what people say about that movie. <laughs> oh, I didn't even realize people didn't like it. Well, it's, it's just like, oh, it's Ghibli light because it's trying to be Ghibli. When it's like, y'all, y'all haven't had a taste of Ghibli in years. I will take this. <laughs> that studio, by the way, for those who don't know, is called uh, Studio Panak. Yeah, and they have a uh, Olympics short. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it's great. They worked on a uh, anthology series of short films called Modest Heroes, and it's really good too. We'll have to talk about that sometime. Well, maybe we'll do the, the G Kids wheel when we get to that. Let's spin the wheel first, and then I'll do my recommendations. Okay. Are you, are you ready? Let's do this. All right, Ghibli wheel. Tell us what we're going to watch next. Are you ready to watch one of the other non Miyazaki? Takahata directed animated features. Which one is this? We're talking about the infamous Ocean Waves, the very last Ghibli film to finally reach uh, stateside from the old era of Ghibli. Not because you know we got Mer- we got Earwig and the Witch, but you know this one was infamous for starting out as a TV special that Studio Ghibli was going to have a bunch of young animators and artists at the studio make. It went over budget, went over time. They turned it into a film, and then it didn't do well, and then they never did that again. <laughs> Ouch. And, I'm not, and that's not a sign of the quality of the film. I actually enjoy it. It's, just a, it's a very different Ghibli film. It doesn't have any whimsy attached to it. It's more like a teen drama hmm. uh, like of the time, which isn't bad. It's just... Well, you'll have to watch it to, f- to find out. It sounds very fascinating. I was honestly kind of shocked to see this one pop up just because I didn't expect it to be so early because it was stuck between Whisper to Heart, Palm Poco, and Porco Rosso oh. on the wheel. Like, I'm curious of when we're going to watch some of these early, like early Miyazaki and Takahata or later Takahata and Miyazaki and such. But anyway... That's what we're going to watch next time. Let me get my recommendation out of the way. I know it'll be a while before we talk about this in greater detail, but by the time we record this episode, like the first five episodes of The Owl House have all been released. They're on Disney now or Disney on demand. Oh my God, season two is off to a really great start. If you liked the first season, but thought it either lacked focus or took too long to get to the main story season two has been pretty much nothing but bangers we're o- we're only at episode five and already the fan base has kind of like 
lost their collective uh, minds. Yeah, like I'm trying not to spoil anything. Um, Don't. Oh my god, if they keep up this momentum, season two will go down in history as like one of the best single seasons of a Disney animated series since like Gravity Falls season two. That's awesome. I can't wait to watch these new episodes. And of course, they're going to be on uh, Disney Plus very soon. Yep. July and... 21st, you'll get the first five episodes. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait to watch this second batch. Now, since it'll be until mid-August or so when we do the anime summer 2021 impressions, there's a lot to recommend now. Like the anime are slowly starting to roll out. We're almost there with having all of them released. Now I could go the route of like, I didn't like this one, but it has a really out there opening, but I'm not going to do that. If I'm going to recommend something, at least for right now, I want to recommend it because I enjoyed it. And I think y'all would enjoy it. I'm going to recommend two. And they're not the obvious ones. Like I could recommend the Aquatope on White Sand, which is by PA Works. And it's really good. But my two recommendations will come from Crunchyroll and Funimation. The first one is Tsukimichi Moonlit Fantasy, which takes a very meta comedy approach to the Isekai genre, almost in the same vein as Put a Quarter in a Jar, Konosuba, because it has a very mean, cynical spirit to it, but it works around that. Like, it's like the point is to make fun of the Isekai trappings and tropes. It Like, its first episode made a very good first impression. I don't know if it's going to do that with the second and third one. Very promising. It looks good. The action's fun. But it's really funny. I highly recommend that one. And then, if you love anime like Utena, I recommend going to... Funimation and watching Kageki Shoujo, which is about these girls who go to a um, performing arts school, like a very prominent, famous performance school. And it has like this ex-idol that goes there and then meets this really tall, blonde girl who's kind of like, why is she here? She's not really the ideal person for this kind of place. But then everything kind of revolves around her just shaking things up and such because she, her goal is to be like the main performer, the main star of the big performance piece. And it has some really good animation. It has my favorite opening um, to any anime this season so far. Ooh. And it's because it also has a great song for it and it just has a great writing characters it's a great first impression and i wasn't expecting that it, it actually goes very well with watching stranger by the shore <laughs> huh. just because of like you know it's an lgbtq plus romance anime so or at least it's setting itself up to be one but we'll have to see so th- those are the two i recommend like out of the ones that are out right now I've heard a lot of good things about um, Kageki Shoujo, and I'm really glad to hear that that you dug that first episode. I mean, I, I'm always against that type of, like, guys can't like things that are not manly and macho and, you know, all that toxic BS. 
I'm a guy that likes romance. I love comedies. I love rom-coms. It shouldn't be an outlying opinion that a guy can like these things. Kind of weird how that still sometimes lingers around. One of my favorite anime from last year was Smile Down the Runway, a Project Runway anime. <laughs> like, it's not a Project Runway anime, but it's like fashion and modeling and such. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have a very wide taste in anime. I'm not saying it's better, but it's I'm down for more than just what is aimed at boys and men and such. So. That's good. It's good to have an... Um expanded palette no variety is the spice of life don't knock it till you try it i know one of my friends was like what really this is your favorite one so far and i'm like oh yeah watch it and then they're like oh yeah that was good (laughs) but yeah that's it for me all right so next week is the big one we're talking space jam a new legacy with my two buddies from Ramble On on the PJ Campbell Network, we've got Dan Nye and Eric Muller. And this is going to be a fun episode. I can't wait. We will have to see how I feel about Space Jam and hopefully my cynicism of the trailers for the second one are wrong. Like, I know we dunk on it and we're all like, man, I don't know. This looks terrible. I don't want that to be true. Who wants to be like, huh? I was right. It was bad. I don't want to be that. That's terrible. That's a terrible mindset to go into. Yeah, no, nobody wants to be that sourpuss. But no. More, but more on that later. Yeah. For now, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash camsiview or at camsiview. I have my own website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films and shows based on like just, well, it's called the other side of animation. I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camsiview where you can, if you like what I write and what I do, you can support me that way. That'll be all. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. Check out all my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also uh, look for us on Podchaser. And coming soon, we will be launching a Patreon. Uh, details to be determined. Um, you can listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. You need escape? So do we. That'll do it for this installment of Renegade Animation. Thank you guys for joining, and we will catch you guys later. Peace out.